Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 20. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The book of Revelation, as you know, is not a difficult book to understand. You've heard this before. Why? Because Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, John is told to write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place, metatauta. That's the Greek word for after this, metatauta. Now, this verse, if you don't already have it, of course, if you've been here, you've memorized it. But if you don't already have it underlined, highlighted in your Bibles, you most certainly should do so now. Because it is with this verse that outlines the entire book of Revelation. It is a three-section divine divinely inspired outline. Y'all can just come on up here and preach it if you like. (laughs) But that's good. I'm glad you've been listening. The first section is chapter one. John is told to write. Y'all just jump right in as you feel led. As you feel so led, my brothers, sisters. John is told in the first section to write the things which he has seen. Chapter 1, what has John seen? John has seen the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ. Jesus is risen. Jesus is glorified. It's a done deal in the first section, chapter 1, which brings us to our second section. Chapters 2 and 3 deals with the things which are. What is church history? Church history, seven messages in chapter 2 and 3 given in chronological order to seven churches. From Ephesus to Laodicea, write the things which are church history. And then after that which is church history, chapter 4, John is raptured. John says, I saw a door open. He got into heaven and he saw the throne of God, and there were prisms and colors, and it was absolutely beautiful. There in chapter 4, John is raptured. The rapture of the church, we see that. We're caught up. Harpazo in the Greek, raptus in the Latin, and rapture in the English. We are violently snatched up to meet the Lord in the clouds, and we're off on a seven-year honeymoon with the Lord in heaven. And during those seven years, there's a tribulation upon the earth. Chapter 6 through 19 is a tribulation upon the earth. And at the end of the seven years, we come back 
with Jesus in his second coming. Now, if you're going to properly understand the book of Revelation, you've got to understand this. If you're taking notes, write this down. The rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ are two distinct, different events. And that's important to understand. The rapture of the church, Jesus is coming for the church. We'll talk about that in a minute, First Thessalonians. Jesus is coming for the church. We rise up, meet the Lord in the air, and then we all go off together with him. He's coming for the church with the rapture. In the second coming, Jesus is not coming for the church. He's coming with the church. We looked at that last week in chapter 19. Also there in chapter 19, last week we saw at the end of the tribulation, there were two suppers and reservations are now being taken. One is the marriage supper of the lamb, which takes place at the end of the tribulation. And if you don't want to be a part of that first supper, you can come and be a part of the second supper, the supper of God that takes place at Armageddon when the birds of the air will come and pick the flesh off the bodies there in the valley of Megiddo. So that brings us to chapter 20. The Lord has come back at Armageddon and the final climactic cataclysmic battle is over. And what happens next? We find that in chapter 20 beginning in verse 1. If you're there, would you say a hearty amen? And then I saw an angel, I who, John, I saw an angel. These verses are fascinating to me. John sees this angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon with the other hand, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, And bound him for how long? A thousand years. How long was he bound? For a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and he shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should not deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Stop right there. Give me your attention. These verses... Give me your attention. These verses are absolutely fascinating. Notice John says, I saw an angel coming down and grabbing a hold of Satan. Now, I find it interesting. I think you will too. Isn't it interesting that John doesn't say, I saw, an, I saw the Lord come down and grabbing a hold of Satan. John doesn't say, I saw the Father come down and grabbing a hold of Satan. Notice John says, I saw one single angel coming down and grabbing a hold of the devil. Notice John doesn't say, I saw an army come down and grab a hold of the devil. No, it's one single angel. God sent one angel to grab hold of the devil. Now, isn't it interesting in the Gospels that Satan sent an army to grab hold of Jesus in the garden? You remember that? Here we find that Jesus sends one angel to get Satan. And this no-name 
angel is a pretty powerful dude. Now, what does that tell us? Well, that tells us that God, listen, God and Satan are not opposites. Now, how often have we heard that God and Satan are opposites? Have we, we've heard that. God and Satan are not opposites. Let's understand something, saints, and, and those of you who, who are ain'ts. Let's understand. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Any ain'ts in the house? No, just kidding. <laughs> but, but let's understand something, no matter who you are. God is in a class all by himself. God is God. God is apart from anyone and anything. Isaiah said, there is none like thee, O Lord. God is not to be compared to any. God can, is not in contest with any. There is none that can challenge God. God is in a class all by himself. He is God. He is not the opposite of Satan. Now, Satan would be more the opposite of Michael, the archangel. But not God. God is above all. God is all powerful. God can do anything in your life. Whatever you need, God is able. Able? Yeah, God can do anything. He is able, whatever your situation is, whatever your circumstance is, whatever your problem is, whatever your problem in your marriage or problem in your home or problem on the job or problem at school or financial or sickness, whatever it might be, God is able because God is God. God is God. I think we forget God is God. You know, we, we talk to him like Big Buddy. We talk to him like the Big Kahuna. We, we talk to him like the man upstairs. He's not the man upstairs. He's not your big buddy and he's not the big kahuna. He's God. He's holy. He's separate. None to be compared. So don't ever compare or say that God is the opposite of Satan. He is not. Secondly, this tells us that Satan isn't all that tough. You know, we act like Satan is, you know, people, people, never cease to amaze me. People, they act like Satan's all tough and powerful and Satan is, you know, we got to take time to rebuke him and pray for, pray at him and pray to him and, 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 and he's so tough and scary. And oh, we should be so scared because the devil is, oh, he's going to get us. Satan isn't that tough. You know what Isaiah said? Isaiah said that when we see Satan, get this, listen, when we see Satan, we are going to look on him and say, is that him, he who weakened the nations? Is that it? And it makes me think of one of my favorite, all-time favorite movies, The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Amen. They colorized it and made it all nice. Y'all want to buy me a DVD, I'll tell you where I live. And it's so nice. This movie is unbelievable. And I love the part where, you know, Dorothy, the scarecrow, who else is with him? It's my favorite movie, I'll never forget it. Um, <laughs> the cowardly lion, 
the Tin Man, and uh, let's let us not forget Toto. Don't forget Toto. He's the cutest little dog. Well, they're on their way to Oz. They get into the city of Oz and they get up to the door. We're here to see the wizard. And, you know, someone lets them in. And they're standing there and we're here to see the wizard. And, you know, and all of a sudden you hear through the speaker system there. What do you want? Well, uh, you know. What do you want? And he's got this huge, big voice. And you think, oh my goodness, he must be huge. He must be ugly and mean. And what do you want? And then they're all scared. Dorothy, oh, Mr. Wizard. And the scarecrow, and Caroline, Lyon, what are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> You know, they're all scared. And little Toto, Toto is the man. I mean, the dog. And and Toto, Toto is, you know, Toto, he runs over to the curtain. You saw the movie. Toto runs over. You guys saw the movie. He runs over to the curtain. He takes his little teeth. He grabs the curtain and he pulls it back. And what do they see? A bald head, fat little man. (laughs) What do you want? Is that it? Is that the wizard? I mean, that big voice, he's all scary. Is that it? And when we see Satan, he's not really as tough as we might think he is. We're going to say, is that it? Is that it? And then this angel, well, most certainly, you know, he's not intimidated by Satan because this angel grabs him, notice, with one hand, and with the other hand, he's got a chain, And this chain speaks of extreme strength and restraint. And with this chain, the angel puts Satan in the bottomless pit. And it is there that he will stay for 1,000 years. Now, I got to think, look at verse 3. I have got to think, here in verse 3, it's like the Holy Spirit with this play on words here, where it says he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. That's, that's got to be a play on words by the Holy Spirit. I mean, really, okay, we know that he's in the bottomless pit, and we know that the angel keeps him there and shut him up there. But I think it's kind of the Holy Spirit's like, ha, 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 see if you get this. God shut him up. Like, like in shut his mouth. Like in he is the accuser of the brethren. Always accusing. Satan, where you been? Oh, I've been walking throughout the earth in Job. Really? He says, uh, have you considered my servant Job? God's like bragging on Job. I'm like, God, look, don't brag on me, okay? I mean, <laughs> brag on Billy or Jim or Alan. Don't brag on me, man. You know, brag, God brags on you. Satan comes after you and... Accusing the brethren, accusing the sisters, and always accusing the Christians. And God shut him up. No more accusations, no more temptation, no more deception. For 1,000 years, he is bound in the bottomless pit. Now, I was thinking about this yesterday. The, The bottomless pit, the bottomless pit. The reason the pit is bottomless is because the pit has no bottom. Is that heavy or what? 
You're like, whoa. Oh. That's heavy. But then think about it like this. The bottomless pit, listen, the bottomless pit is the place for prisoners or people who die who don't know Jesus Christ. And the bottomless pit has no bottom. Therefore, those in the bottomless pit, they never sit. They never rest. And probably with the gravitational pull that is in the core of the earth, people and demons are suspended and tumbling the whole time. They never rest. They never find rest. Now, that, that's awful. Think about it. I mean, they're tumbling all the time, and there's never a bottom, and there's always a spinning. You know, it's almost like at Carowinds when, when people, you know, get on those evil rides at Carowinds, and, and, and they you know, those evil rides that they, they spin people around. I don't do those rides. It just, you know, you spin them around, and they suspend you in the air. And then when they put you down, and you puke all over the place. Isn't that gross? But that's what people pay money for. And, and, and so you're spinning around, you're suspending all this time. Well, that might be cool with Carowinds for just a few minutes, but you might want to think about it like this. The bottomless pit, it is in the bottomless pit that people, even as we speak right now, even as we speak at, at, right now, in the bottomless pit, there are people who are suspending and constantly going and never resting. And listen, that is a hell in and of itself. The fact that you feel this continual feeling of falling. You know, people say, oh, well, hell is hot. Yes, hell is hot. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell. Yes, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell. But you know what? It's also hell that you just keep falling and you never stop. And even this morning, there are people who are in hell, in this place, and they are falling, they're in pain and torment, and they never stop. I think that's got to be a sobering thought. At least it is for me. I hope it is for you. This bottomless pit, Revelation chapter 9, write that down, look it up in your own time. We talked about the bottomless pit. It's the Greek word, if you're taking notes, abuso, A-B-U-S-S-O, abuso. And it means the shaft of the abyss. The shaft of the abyss. It's the home of incarcerated demons or demon jail. The home of incarcerated demons. In chapter 9, you know if you were with us, demons were released from the abuso and they stung people and the stings were so painful that men tried to kill themselves. In chapter 9, that's pretty amazing. They could not die. And they were trying to kill themselves. Very interesting. Now, it's in this abuso that even demons, the bottomless pit, the abuso, even demons don't want to go there. You might remember the story is found in Luke chapter 8. It was Jesus and his disciples. They came to the land of the Gadarenes. And there was this man who had a legion of demons. You know the story. He began to break the chains off of him and he began to cut himself and he began to, to, to scream and, and scream it out at night. And when Jesus approached that demon, the legion of demons through this man said to Jesus, what have we to do with you, son of the most high God? The demons, get this, understand and know that Jesus is God. Man doesn't want to acknowledge it, many, 
But demons know it. They said to Jesus, this legion of demons said to Jesus, what have we to do with thee, son of the most high God? And then they begged Jesus to send them into a herd of pigs or swine that were just kind of hanging out there. And Jesus gave them their wish. He sent those demons into the swine, into the pigs. And there we have the first mention of deviled ham. Sorry. I'm sorry, I'm going downhill. That's all right. That's all. I'm coming back up, though. Y'all wait. I'm coming back up. <laughs> and you know the story. <laughs> they didn't like it first or second service either. So, I mean, that's okay, fine. It's one of my better ones. And so, you know the story. They ran over the cliff into the Sea of Galilee. Those demons didn't want to go to the abyss, and neither does Satan. And neither do you. Listen, it takes more faith for someone to go to hell than it does for them to go to heaven. It really does. I mean, you've got to ignore the cross of Jesus. You've got to ignore the evidence that demands a verdict. You've got to ignore it to go to hell. It takes more faith to go to hell than it does to simply put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. The bottomless pit is the place where Satan will be locked up for a thousand years. And then after the thousand years, Satan will be released and go out and deceive the nations. Now notice in the first seven verses in your Bibles, notice the word thousand years is used six times. Interesting. Verse two, verse three, Verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6, a thousand years, or the millennium. The word millennium comes from the Latin word that means 1,000 years, the millennium. Now, there are many different understandings of the millennium. There are basically three schools of thought or three views of eschatology, or that's the study of end times, that's a word for today. Eschatology means the study of end times, and there are three basic major views of schools of thoughts for, in terms of this millennium. The early church, until Augustine, believed in an earthly, historical, literal reign of Jesus. It was in the late 300s that this guy by the name of Tychonius was the first to spiritualize the millennium. And he said the millennium is no millennium or a millennium. A meaning without millennium. Now, a millennialist they don't believe in the literal reign of Christ on the earth. They believe it's a metaphor. They believe it's not true. It's a fantasy, a spiritual reign of Christ. The spiritual reign of Christ is not literal. Augustine, the Roman Catholic Church, and most of the Reformation theologians also held this position of amillennium, without millennium or without thousand years. Amillennialists believe that the thousand-year reign of Christ had already begun on the earth. Now, we just read here in our text, we just read that during this thousand years, Satan is chained up and put in the bottomless pit. 
So that would mean that Satan must have a really, really long chain because he sure is active and alive in the world today. Now, growing out of this idea of amillennium comes postmillennium, the postmillennial view. Postmillennialism was popular, it was a popular view of the past. This was a theory that the gospel would spread throughout the earth and people would be converted. And then the world would become one great Christian community and Jesus would reign, Jesus would return and receive the keys to a glorified planet. They teach that Jesus will come by invitation to a united, federated planet where people live in peace and goodwill. Now, I call this view the Star Trek view of the end times. True. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.